It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Election College, episode number 295, FDR, part four. Let's throw a political party. Face it, the political scene sucks, but did it always? It's time for election college, and class is in session. Now, your hosts, Jason Goff and Ben Smith. Jason, in the last episode... I teased a little bit at the end there that we might see another run from FDR. And and there's also four episodes to the FDR saga, so I guess you probably could have imagined he was probably going to be running for at least a third term. It's like maybe even a maybe even a fourth or a fifth, who knows. Yeah, it's like four is the magic number or three in this case, but we'll get into four. Yeah, there we go. Oh man, foreshadowing. There should be some like I should put some scary music here. You probably should. Yeah, Ben, when you're editing, if you're not too lazy, uh, put in some scary music here. And if you are too lazy, just cut this part out. And if you don't do either one, people will hear it and laugh. Okay, we're good. Uh, the, uh, <laughs> Roosevelt is at the end of his second term, and he's thinking about running for a third term. Of course, George Washington kind of set the precedent, the the idea that not run for more than two terms. and It's never really prescribed anywhere yet, but... It's kind of just tradition. And FDR says, you know what? I'm not going to say whether or not I'm uh, going to run because I don't want anybody else seeking the nomination yet with, because I don't want them to know whether or not I'm going to run. Crazy guy. And yeah, at the time, Germany is just like running rampant through um, through Europe at the time. And Roosevelt's like, well, I have the experience. Things are going haywire. I probably should run. Yeah, it's really interesting because on the d- domestic front, Wendell Wilkie, we talked about him before. Mm-hmm. We did an episode about him. Go back That's and right. listen. He's like, hey, New Deal. That wasn't too bad. But on the whole international front, uh, I think he's going to drive us into war. So vote Wilkie. Yeehaw. Do you think he said yeehaw? It was on the signs and stuff. <laughs> if it was, he would have won the election. That's probably true. <laughs> well, at the 1940 Democratic Convention, Roosevelt basically didn't have any competition. I mean, he did have competition. He had one guy by the name of Farley. He he lost. He had another guy. Uh, you might recognize him as Vice President Garner. And, of course, we'll do an episode about him later. But, uh, yeah, his vice president decides to run against him in the primary. And... He just kind of turns against Roosevelt during that second term. And Roosevelt's like, well, I mean, needless to say, man, you're not going to be my vice president again. So he goes and gets the secretary of agriculture named Henry Wallace. 
And he was very supportive of the New Deal, and he was very popular in the farm states, which is good, considering he was the Secretary of Agriculture. And people were pretty okay with it, but not everybody. There were some that were felt that he was too liberal. They, they were too conservative, and he was too liberal, uh, that he was too radical and eccentric, and that he would probably probably make Roosevelt lose. Did we do so, an episode on him? No, I don't think so. Oh, man. I can't wait for that episode. That's going to be fun. It is going to be fun. So anyway, long story short, the race is basically tied. Yeah. Unless you are a proponent of the Electoral College. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) Where Roosevelt, I was going to say spank, but that's probably not politically correct. No, probably not. trounces wilkie in the electoral college even though it was only 55 percent of the popular vote but it was like 85 percent of the electoral vote so there you have it roosevelt is the president again <laughs> the guy kept us out of war sounds familiar and then by the time 1941 rolls around you know what happens yeah we're gonna skip across a lot of the nitty-gritty stuff that happens that leads us into the war but you're familiar I mean, Pearl Harbor happens. Tragedy, of course, but it can't be ignored any longer. And so FDR says, all right, we're heading in. Um, We're going to have to float China alone uh, because they're they're really hurting right now because of Japan and Germany really going at them. Um, And, oh, yeah, we're probably going to end up dropping a nuke here pretty soon. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, a lot of what Roosevelt does on the domestic front in his first two terms, he does on the foreign policy. And probably the biggest thing that we see as a carryover from this is the Joint Chiefs of Staff. And these people um, make the final decisions on American military strategy. Up to that point, it was kind of like, well, the president does his thing. And he says what happens, but the United States isn't that heavily involved in foreign affairs up to this point. I mean, outside of the whole Latin America dealings that they had, the United States wasn't as huge of a military power at this point as it is now. Well, a lot of that you can attribute to Roosevelt from you know growing the military from, I think it was just under 200,000 to over a million and a half or right around a million and a half. That's that's a lot of military growth in a very short amount of time. So uh, that happens. And basically, he meets with Churchill. They develop a plan. And then they establish the whole combined chiefs of staff uh, thing to, I think, the, the combined chiefs of staff <laughs> to help coordinate all this military policy and um, making sure that supplies are allocated and that the two entities work well together during the war. Uh, then the Joint Chiefs of Staff comes along, which help him make the final decisions on all the strategy and everything that's happening. And of course, you know, there's the nuclear program happening, the, the Manhattan Project, etc., where these nuclear weapons are being developed. And Churchill is with Roosevelt on that as well. They're jointly pursuing it. So it's not long before Roosevelt comes up with the idea of the four policemen, um, you know, called themselves the big four. We know them as the allied powers. It would be the United Kingdom, the United States, Soviet Union, and China. And 
they're all going to go against the German troops and the troops under their command and who are working alongside them, along with Japan. So it's during this era that the concept of a union of nations reemerges very strongly. And in 1945, Stalin, Churchill, and Roosevelt hold a conference. And that establishes the United Nations. And they agree on the structure of the UN Security Council. And the purpose of the Security Council is to, quote, ensure international peace and security. We'll see how that goes (laughs) in the decades afterwards. But the three work together. And with a balancing act of the Eastern Front dealing with the Japanese invasion of China, as well as other areas in the Pacific, and then on the Western Front, dealing with Germany and Italy and the advances that they were making, uh, including advances into Africa. Interestingly enough, it's during all of this that Roosevelt chooses Dwight Eisenhower to serve as the multinational coalition commander in Northern Africa. Kind of interesting. During this whole uh, era that the lines were a little bit more muddied between Democrats and Republicans. I think everybody was kind of finding their place and uh, perhaps working better together regardless of their political persuasions. But anyway, uh, the United States is now a world power with the beefing up of the military. And all the while, Roosevelt is changing it all up, changing U.S. foreign policy. So back on the home front, while everything's going on, it's crazy because things are actually going kind of well as far as the economy goes. War tends to create jobs and create a void that people need to fill. Uh, So unemployment gets cut in half, uh, and then it gets cut in half again a year later, and there's actually a labor shortage at this point. So you see a lot of African-Americans and farmers and things like that, people like that coming into more uh, developed areas and coming to manufacturing centers. And the fact is the government is also spending a lot more money. So Roosevelt thinks, here's an idea. Anybody who makes over $100,000 Everything over $100,000 they make, we're going to tax them 99.5% for all the income over that $100,000. And the proposal fails, so he says, okay, I've got this executive order sitting here. Let's say we're going to do 100000 or 100% on anything over 25000 which Congress is like, no, you're not going to do that either. <laughs> so uh, they end up passing the Revenue Act of 1942 and does um, we see tax rates as high as 94%, uh, which is obviously much, much higher than we had before or after that fact. And he even says, hey, would you mind to tax anything that's considered unreasonable as far as a profit, you know, whether it's a corporation or an individual? We, we really just need to get like $10 billion raised. So let, let's figure out how we can do that. Yeah. Needless to say, government is huge. He states that all Americans should have the right to adequate medical care, a good education, a decent home, and a useful and well-paying job. These go over like a lead balloon. 
Uh, however, the GI Bill uh, creates massive benefits uh, for returning soldiers, and both houses of Congress and both parties unanimously passed the GI Bill and signed that into law in June of 1944. More than half of the Americans, uh, 15 million Americans who served in World War I, uh, benefited from the GI Bill. All of this stuff is happening, and Roosevelt's health is declining. He is a chain smoker. He has high blood pressure, coronary artery disease, angina, and congestive heart failure. However, the physicians, because they're loyal to their president, right, are saying he's doing great. And by the time the election in 1944 rolls around, most Americans think, okay, uh, we'll elect him to another term. Why not? We've elected him three times before this. But there's a few people who are like, uh, he just doesn't look very well. Yeah, so in 1940, remember how Roosevelt had some people up against him in trying to get the nomination for the Democratic Party? Well, in 1944, pretty much everybody is on board with him running again. Uh, he makes it very clear that he's seeking another term, and there are a few of the Southern Democrats that vote for somebody else, but for the most part, they uh, they want Roosevelt. They don't want Vice President Wallace, though, because he, you know, is kind of crazy a little bit. So... They also, I think there's probably the idea, you know, that maybe he's not doing as hot as he could be health-wise. And so Vice President Wallace is probably not who they want to be in the presidential seat should something happen to President Roosevelt. Such an well, amazing story. Yeah, it really <laughs> is. We definitely need to do, well, I guess we are doing an episode on him. So, If we're lucky. Uh, if we're lucky. That'll be interesting. Basically, uh, Roosevelt and Truman, who they uh, end up bringing in to be his vice president, win the 1944 election. They defeat Dewey and Bricker uh, with 53% of the popular votes and a whole ton of electoral votes, 432 out of 531 at the time. And so really, people are looking forward to a bright future, along with the strong United Nations uh, you know, re recovering out of this war that's that's been happening and winning the world war, but things are not looking so great for Roosevelt's health. Yeah, so you know, FDR he goes to Yalta and has his conference with Stalin and Churchill. He comes back from Yalta and he looks noticeably frail. Uh, in March of 1945, Roosevelt goes down to Warm Springs, Georgia. He's about to appear before the founding conference of the United Nations on April 12th. And Roosevelt says, I have a terrific headache. He falls over. He's posing for a picture. You know the story, right? There's a lot that can be said about that. Yeah. But anyway, he slumps forward in his chair, unconscious, carried to his bedroom. And he has a cerebral hemorrhage. And by 335, Roosevelt passes away. So, of course, they place him, uh, his body, in a flag-draped coffin. They load him onto the presidential train to head back to Washington. And as he's on that 
trip back to Washington, as you can imagine, just thousands and thousands of people are flocking to the side of the train tracks to pay their respects. And uh, he has a, a funeral at the White House and is transported back to Hyde Park, where he was born, from Washington, D.C., by train. And he was buried in the Rose Garden of his estate in Springwood, just like he wished. It's really odd, or maybe it's not odd as we would think. I mean, now in, in today's age, we if there's even a sniffle in the in the president's nose, we hear about it. But at the time, you know, it was a lot easier to keep physical health ailments away from the general public. And so while the people near him kind of knew something was up, the rest of the world was just shocked and grieving quite a bit. Most of the time, any president that passes away, whether it's, you know, from being sick or from uh, being murdered, they're, everybody's sad, but this is just very unexpected, and he was on, you know, he, he won four elections. People liked him. That's that's all there is to say about that. Yeah, and along with the physical infirmities is the, uh, how do we say, the improprieties <laughs> that were glossed over as well. Um, yeah. He... Uh, was not the most faithful of uh, husbands to his wife. And he um, took that legacy right until his final days. But why would we end the episode talking about that, right? (laughs) Right. So obviously uh, he is considered to be one of the most important figures, especially uh, most important presidents. That doesn't necessarily mean you love him or hate him one way or another it just means that his impact kind of can have you can't understate his impact as far as being a president in these here united states Um, definitely one of the most influential figures of the 20th century and he probably ranks right up there as far as you know the most amount of impact presidents have had along with george washington and abraham lincoln and um, political scientists have consistently ranked him there with those individuals as well. Coming out of the Great Depression, going into the war and coming out of the war, uh, definitely expanding the government by leaps and bounds, definitely did a lot of different stuff that changed the scope of our government and our country. Yeah, literally brought the country through a completely different era. And speaking of different eras... We will be talking about some of the people surrounding FDR, which might be as interesting as FDR himself. So stay tuned. Yeah, for sure. While you're staying tuned, whatever that means these days, because uh, I guess like you know, if a podcast ends, it just goes to the next one. I think they said stay tuned because they didn't want you to leave whenever the commercials were on on the TV, but... Oh, goodness. We don't have commercials. Well, we do have commercials on the podcast. But anyway, the whole point is, go ahead and leave us a review and a rating over on iTunes. You can head over to iTunes directly and search for us, or you can go to electioncollege.com slash iTunes and leave us a review. We really appreciate that. Tell a friend. All that good stuff. Yeah, and while you're not staying tuned because you're doing other productive things like surfing the internet. Or just surfing in general. Yeah, dude. Um, Interact with us. We're all over the place. Twitter, Facebook. We still have that Instagram account. I haven't done anything with that in a long time. No. But we'll know if you say something to us. We will. We'll see it. 
Thanks, everybody, for listening. We appreciate it. We'll talk to you next time. American Giant makes great clothing, sweatshirts, jeans, and more right here in the U.S. Visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order with code STAPLE20. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com, code STAPLE20.